holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and in the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Let's pray. I'd like all of us just to take a moment. We all know someone that's going through a rough time. Just to think about them and pray for them right now. Offer up to God a special prayer for them. Things come into our life. Friends come into our life. Relatives. People we know, we work with. Sooner or later, everybody goes through a rough time. And sometimes it's more often than not for some of us. But we know that our Father, our Heavenly Father, knows all. He knows our uprisings and our downsittings. He knows everything about us. And He cares, even though sometimes we feel alone and very, uh, very discouraged. We ask that, Lord, these individuals that we're thinking of right now be lifted up. And, Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by your word. Lord, right now, as we prepare our hearts to hear your word, encourage us. Lord, each of us need more faith more faith that you are in control. Lord, I thank you for each member, each person, each visitor here this morning, Lord, because you've appointed this time for us to meet. You have a special message that you want each of us to hear, and it's different for everyone. Lord, I pray for our pastor that you would fill him with your Holy Spirit, and I just pray that this hour, this time we spend, would change our lives. And I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. It is, uh, we're glad to have our uh, son Caleb visiting and uh, his fiancée, uh, Carmen. And a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago, whatever it was, uh, Lori had a chance to, I had a chance to get down and see Carmen get baptized. They uh, went along with uh, Mark and Angie down to uh, the church down in Topeka. At First Baptist down there, and they're uh, ministering down there. My wife, Lori, was so pleased. Uh, uh, Caleb played guitar uh, for Mark. Mark, my son-in-law, sings. Yeah, you didn't know that, did you? Yeah, he sang, and it was great. And uh, so it's good to see them serving down there, and uh, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. Caleb, you did a good job. Found a good girl there. Yeah, did good. Uh, those of you who uh, attend Sunday nights know we've gone through the book of Hebrews and we're in the last chapter now and going through, um, really it's a transition in the book of Hebrews, gets more into the, um, the things that socially uh, we're to do for one another and how we're to minister. And up through to chapter uh, 12 uh, has a lot uh, of doctrine. And if, if you're not familiar with the Old Testament all, 
at all. And then we start looking at the New Testament, and here's these words bouncing back and forth, and it's just like, yeah, the animals, they were killed, and as was mentioned, the blood was, was shed, and what did that do? And did it save them? Did, you know, I don't understand that. And then all of a sudden it changes and talks about Jesus, and, and what He went through, and, and such. And allow me to take just a couple minutes and uh, educate for those who don't know much about the Old Testament, and especially much about the tabernacle or the temple. Because if you don't understand the, the foundation of those, you're not going to really understand this text at all. Matter of fact, I was uh, meeting with somebody, and we were actually talking about the Old Testament, and it was very new to them. So for some of you, you've been here, you've learned these lessons, or maybe another uh, church from your pastor, you just say, yeah, I know all that, and it's a, it's a good thing. But for some, if you don't get this basic, you're not going to understand it. In Exodus uh, 25, God talked to Moses about a tabernacle that was to be built. That tabernacle to be built was made in the likeness of a heavenly, if you will, temple. Uh, the tabernacle was a tent. It's a moving thing. Uh, the temple was permanent. And it, this is all a, a pattern of what's going on in heaven. So he said, I want you to build some furniture. And it was beautiful. Much of it was involved with gold and different, you know, you know beautiful woods. And so each part had a specific purpose now, you have an outside, and there's a couple of things we'll talk about that were there, and then you go inside the first room that was called the holy place, and then there was a tent, or excuse me, a covering there uh, uh, that, that they would avail, that they would be able to go through into what is called the holy of holies. Now, let's go back outside over here, okay? So... I was going to have a bunch of guys stand up and beat each one of these pieces of furniture, but I didn't, I didn't want to waste time. So the first thing that they would come to, the priest would come to, would be the brazen altar. And this altar was where they would take the lamb, and all of the lamb was to be sacrificed on that altar. Everything was to be consumed, okay? And then the next place was the labor. Now remember, we're not inside yet. We're on the outside. And this was the labor, and this is where the priests would cleanse. They would wash. Then they would go into the holy place. Closed, no windows, so they had to have light. So over here was the candlesticks. And you remember there were seven uh, lights uh, uh, there for, for them to illuminate the room. Then on this side was a table of showbread where they would have the wine and they would have the bread. Picture of our communion. Then the third thing was the altar of incense. And this is still in the holy place. And this was, was a place where the beautiful aroma would come from the incense that were burnt. And then one time a year, just one time, the priest would take blood from the lamb that was sacrificed, and he would enter into this particular room, which was the time of the Day of Atonement, at one, atone. So it was a picture of God and man being brought back together at one. And inside here, of course, was the mercy seat and the Ark of the Covenant. So inside of the Ark, uh, there were a few different emblems. You have the commandments, uh, you have Aaron's rod that budded, and you had the manna. And of course, on top were that, those cherubs that had their wings pointing towards each other, centered. And that's where the, the, uh, the high priest, one time a year, would sprinkle the blood. 
And you and I would look at that and say, wow, that's detailed. And we'd almost say, especially we as the Gentiles that weren't brought up in all of this to understand it, we'd stop and say, why? To you and I, it's very foreign. If, if I were coming into church and be looking at that, you would stop and say, that, that seems very, very strange. But all of them had a purpose. Now we're going to go back here. Now I need a little participation just for a few minutes here now, since I educated you all about this. So the first thing you come to is the... See how great of a teacher I am? It is an amazing thing how good I am at what I do. The brazen altar, right? And that's where the lamb was sacrificed in the blood. And that's a picture of salvation. That's a picture of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, giving His all, His body and the blood for our sin. Okay? Then we come to that place where we washed, it was called the labor. Ooh, that was awesome. So it's a picture, you know, oftentimes you have the, the salvation and then the water, kind of picture of the baptism, although it wasn't immersion, but it was a thought of cleansing. So the salvation's been done. Now comes the, let's get our act cleaned up. Before we go into the place here, which is called the holy place, right? Because inside here, it's a place of fellowship with God. Because we have over here the candlestick producing light. And it's a picture of the oil, the Holy Spirit, remember? And the light coming out, illuminating, is a picture of the Word of God and understanding the Word of God through the person of the Holy Spirit, illuminating the light, and of course Jesus is the light of the world. Those things. Then over here is that place of communion, which is the table of showbread. Okay? So here's where they would uh, have that time of fellowship with God, and they would eat the bread, the showbread, uh, and of course it would be without leaven, and they would drink the wine. And then we come to this next thing. The altar, right? Of incense. And so this is where the aroma and that smoke would go up. And in the Revelation, it talks about how that is a picture of the prayers of the saints. So one time a year, the high priest was allowed and was commanded to come into this room, which is called the, the Holy of Holies. You didn't come in here just when you wanted to. It was one time a year. Matter of fact, they'd tie ropes on the guys in case they got dead when they came in. If they did something wrong, they'd die. Because this was the presence of God. That's why the blood had to be brought. God was looking for that sacrifice that was in the Old Testament by the animals that was for the covering of the sins of the people. And so they would do this. And matter of fact, they'd have little bells on the bottom so they'd know they were walking around. Okay, they're moving. We hear the bells are alive yet. Everything's going okay. Because this, is, this was serious. Because they're coming into this, this place not just for their own sin, but for the sin of all of Israel. So Israel wanted to know God accepted the sacrifice for their sin. And if not, uh-oh. We're not forgiven. So this was a vital part. Each one of these symbolized something that was going to happen. All of these were a shadow of the real thing, Hebrews chapter 10 tells us. And I'm up here and i got all these blurring lights at me. And right down here I can actually see a huge shadow. 
Now, we realize is the shadow isn't the real thing. This is. This portrays what is here. And the Old Testament was the shadow. It wasn't the real thing. It was an image of what the real thing was going to be. Does anybody guess what the real thing is? It's Jesus. Jesus was the real Lamb, the sacrifice. He is the one that cleanses. He is the one that is the place of fellowship with God. He is our light. He is our source of power. He is our communion. He is our interceder. He is our prayer. He is our atonement. He is that place, well, the word propitiation in 1 John chapters 2 and later on in chapter 4. He is the mercy seat. He is a propitiation which pleases our God. He is our all in all. He took care of it all for us. So we come to church with our Bibles, and we don't have our lambs brought, and you don't have a priest, I'm not that, because Jesus Christ is your high priest. He is everything to us. Matter of fact, in this chapter, you'll find that as they went into it, uh, the temple, it's as though Jesus Christ, as our high priest, went in, not with someone else's blood, or not with a lamb's blood, but He came in with His own blood to, if you will, spill it, to be shedding it, to spread on this, the mercy seat in heaven for our sin. And as He says in 1 John 2, not for our sins only, that is the believer, but for the sins of the whole world. Christ died for your sin. He took care of it in full. The application, though, of that blood of Jesus Christ is done when you, by faith, believe in Him. That application is done when you say, Lord, I need you. I need you to forgive me of my sin, to wash away my sin and to cleanse me. And He gives you that eternal life and heaven bound, all of those things that we, we talk about. You become a child of God, the sons of God. All those wonderful promises are yours as a result of that. Now that we have that foundation, He in this text is now doing a comparison between the Old Testament sacrifices and what Jesus did. The book of Hebrews is about Jesus being better. He's better than the angels. He's better than creation. He's better than the high priests in the Old Testament. He is better than the lambs that were sacrificed. He is better than anything you can bring up in the Old Testament because He was able to do it unlike them. They had to do it all the time. Over and over and over again, year in, year out. And Jesus Christ, one time, once for all, took care of the penalty of sin for the world so that we could go free, we could be forgiven, and we can go to heaven based on the finished work of Jesus Christ. Now, let's start digging in. But Christ, verse 11, being come in high priest of good things to come by a, notice this, greater. We could even almost put better and more perfect tabernacle that's not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, the physical that was done in the Old Testament and the temple that was following. And so Christ, as though He went into a place that was not man-made, 
This is some place that is different. It's, it's perfect. Verse 12, and neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained, now notice this, eternal redemption for us. Eternal, that's like a really long time, okay? And it's redemption. So, this process of the blood being spilt has to do with the redemption. In other words, in God's sight, the Father's sight, there has to be something that pays for sin. And, and we didn't come up with the idea, God did. And what actions they took in the Old Testament were sacrifices that were beyond them to forgive them of their sin. Remember the story of Cain and Abel? Remember how Cain brought of the, like the wheat and the barley, the things that he grew? And Abel comes in with a lamb and, and sacrificed it. And God says, I like Abel's and I don't like Cain's. Of course, we know the story. Cain was angry with that, like, I don't understand this, and he kills his brother. And we know that story. But I want to go back to this question. But why did God look at Abel's sacrifice and say yes, and looked at Cain's sacrifice and said no? There are keys to it. He brought the lamb. He brought the blood. Cain brought of the works of his own hands what he had done, what he had produced, if you will, self-righteousness. What I am able to do, God, you have to be pleased with me. Look what all that I've done. I've put it together. It's laid out beautifully. Look at this. You have to approve this. And God says, nope. But when he looked at Abel's sacrifice, it wasn't the, his own blood. It wasn't his own sacrifice. It wasn't his own death. It was the vicarious death of another, that lamb, for him. And God says, that's what I want. You know why? Because God has been looking for a body. He's been looking for one to die for the sin of the people. And the only one that was qualified to do that was Jesus Christ alone. And that's why we, by faith, do not look at our works and our actions and come to God and say, God, look how good I am. That's what the Pharisees tried to do. Self-righteousness. And God is saying, like, you are going to compare what you do to what Jesus has done for you, and you think you're good enough? Doesn't work that way. This cleansing that we're going to talk about today and I want to pull this point together right here. Um, you know, once in a while, we have messes around our house because we have grandkids. And we have dogs, two of them. And uh, even this morning, Lori is trying to find me as I'm outside stretching and just enjoying this gorgeous, wonderful, crisp, cool morning. I'm out there, and I hear the door opening and closing, and I'm thinking, hmm, something just happened. So I go inside, and it's like, your dog just made a mess. <laughs> and so, would you think one of the two that I would do to clean the dirt that's now on my carpet, would I go outside 
and hose down some mud and put it all together in a bucket. And it's wet, has water, and go in and throw that on my carpet in order to clean the dirt that's there. You say, that's dumb, Carl. Why would you even bring that up? Well, that's my point. That's what people are trying to do by saying, I'm going to bring my own works to wash away my sin. Dirt can't clean dirt. We can't cleanse our own sin. You say, but I'm a good person. No, you're not. And neither am I. We're sinners. Sin can't cleanse sin. So what did God do? Kind of like what I did. You go to the sink and you get that clean water. And I got one of those rainbow sweepers. If you don't have one, save your pennies. They're worth it. And you get that. You can pour water down on the carpet and everything. That just sucks all the stuff right up out of it. And I'm putting hot water and it's clean like it had never been there. God even goes further than those actions. What He does is He takes... Instead of man and what he can accomplish, he takes his own son, who was God, coming in the flesh. Perfection coming to this earth. And that one who is perfect and always will be perfect dies on the cross and his blood was shed for our sin. And so God looks then at the redemption, that which is paying for the sin of mankind, and He looks at the blood of Jesus Christ, and God says, now that can cleanse you. That is the only thing that is qualified to wash away our sin. And that's why He tells us, for by grace are you saved through, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, and is not of works, lest any man should boast. So if it's like, God, look how clean I made all of this, how I cleansed up my life, He's going to be going, the way I see it, it's dirtier than it was before. You just made it worse. We can't do it on our own. You say, but I'm older. I've had a lot of years of practice of taking care of my own sin. Sorry, it just doesn't work that way. It gets worse and worse. But when Jesus Christ is applied by faith, you calling on Him as your Savior, He then is your substitute. He is the one that washes, cleanses the sin from us through His death as well as the resurrection. But we're dealing with the sacrifice today. And so His blood is capable of washing and cleansing away our sin. Now let's read. Verse 13, for if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of the heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth the purifying, now notice this, of the flesh. It's as though what happened in the Old Testament was a temporary, kind of an outward way of cleansing. And what God says is, I'm going to take care of things not on the outside so you look at part. I'm going to clean you from the inside out and purge you, cleanse you from the inside. That's what God's looking at, right? We knew that, didn't we? In other words, we see each other. God could care less about the outward. He's looking at the inward part, and that's why chapter 11 is all about the heroes of the faith, what they believed. They were all sinners like you and I, just men and women. 
And yet, God says, by faith, they did great things. And it was because of the inward that was then coming out of what, on, on what they did as a result of, of what God did on the inside. And so this temporary cleansing that's talked about is just that purifying of the flesh. And then he says, that Old Testament compared to the New Testament, what Jesus did, verse 14, how much more shall the blood of Christ... Now notice this, who through the eternal spirit... Now there's the word eternal again. So this isn't things that are temporary, but as God is looking at this, the blood of Jesus Christ has always been past as well as future, the only element that would be capable of cleansing man from sin. So that's why God can say that this action that was motivated by Jesus Christ, the inward part of Jesus Christ, then an eternal value took care of the sin of all of the world. So, through the eternal spirit offered himself, now notice this, Without spot, now notice this phrase, this is the important part, he doesn't say to man. He didn't offer himself to you and I. He offered himself up to God. That's the one he was impressing. That was the goal, was to glorify the Father through his death to reconcile man that had lost that wonderful state of innocence through Adam and Eve, the sinful nature comes, so Christ took care of Adam and Eve, everybody in the future took care of all of them by His own precious blood, once for all. So His own blood, through the Spirit, offered Himself without spot, in other words, sinless, purged your conscience. Now, we're dealing with the conscience here. You say, look, look, it took you a long time to get here, Carl. And it did. But you have to see, what is he talking about? Purge your conscience from something. It's dead works to something, and that is to serve the living God versus the other gods. Purge. The word purge means to cleanse. Uh, matter of fact, in the text, you're, you're seeing that we're talking about um, the altars, and there were a lot of, of different things, items that they would use. And as a result, uh, they would have to make sure that they went through and cleansed everything, that which removed the ashes, that which was done on the outside. Everything had to be cleansed or purged. And even in this same text, he talks about Almost all things by the law, and this is verse 22, I'm sorry. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without shedding of blood is no remission. So this cleansing of everything is purging or cleansing, but he says what's being cleansed is not your outward body. Instead, what he says is right up here, the conscience. As a Christian... And this might sound arrogant for a Christian to say, but our dependency is not on ourself, it is on our God. And we can say with confidence, I know I am going to heaven because Jesus Christ has saved me and has washed away my sin. And we can say that with confidence and the world would say, how would you ever know that? You're not good enough. Now you learn why we can say that. It's not based on what I have done. It's based on the finished 
work of Jesus Christ on the cross for my sin. My confidence is not in me. I'm the sinner. My confidence, though, is in Christ. The song, beautifully done, by the way, the one that began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He's doing that work inside of us, able to save us, able to keep us, First Peter, guard us into the very day of redemption, the day we finally go before God. God says, you are sealed by my Spirit, Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter 4. It is a done deal. We're just anticipating, even so, Lord Jesus, come. That would be the best thing. Or we get to go to heaven by death. And either way, we win. <laughs> I love that phrase. We win. We get loose as Christians. And it's through Christ. There's a confidence in our conscience in our God. Because He has purged us. And He has taken our mind and He begins to cleanse, if you will, the inside of man in the way He thinks. As we begin our journey of faith... As we were talking about this morning, those who went through discipleship begin to get the Word of God in their mind. And as a result of that, there is a cleansing. There is something that says, man, I have a wrong attitude here. I, I mean, I shouldn't have said that. Or, you know, we go through all of these. And God begins to work inside of our conscience to do what is right. And He begins to go through a cleansing. It's as though that concept of Romans 12, 1 and 2 comes into light. Where he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice that is holy, that is acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And here's verse 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the what? Renewing of the mind. The inside of us begins to change as Christians. And it's away from those dead works, those dead things that used to be there, and we get to serve God now. We, we get to serve God. We get the privilege of serving the King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, I've got to give you this little thought on this purging from the, the dead works. <clears throat> Mankind, and you may be here, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to help you to understand this. There are works that people do all the time to try to help mankind, help civilization, community services, and so forth. And, and as a result of doing good works, they may say in their mind, I feel good, I'm sure God's going to look at me and say, man, you did a really good job today, I might just let you in. you got a foot in today. You know, got one foot into heaven. You know, you better keep it up though. And they're going through all of these outward actions of trying to do good. But folks, works cannot undo the sinful nature that we have. It cannot take it away. And folks, you know, there's a lot of good things that the world does for each other. I mean, everybody's, you know, this month is, is the cancer awareness. And we're, you know, a lot of people wearing the pink, you know, and look at that and say, man, this is a good act. Let's remember this and let's give toward this cause and, and let's help. And it's a good cause. It's a good thing. But folks, you can give all of your money and sell your house and give it all to cancer, but research, but that's not going to get you into heaven. I have one guy, he's here today, he said, my brother, he said, uh, he's talking to him about the Lord, and he says, man, I want to see you get saved. He goes, I'm going to heaven, don't worry about me. And he goes, well, how are you going to get to heaven? He goes, I bought the church a piano. 
And he said, I'm getting to heaven because I put a lot of money out for a piano. And he figured that's good enough because I gave to the church. God's got to look at that and say, oh, you're just great. You just jump right in. But it doesn't work that way. Those are dead works. Those are things that cannot accomplish because they're dead. It's like us trying to wash away our own sin. It doesn't work that way. So what he does is does a cleansing inside of the conscience, the blood of Jesus Christ, the application, and now what we are is purged from those things, cleansed from those things, and now what we get to do is serve the living God versus the dead works. So... We know Ephesians 2, 8, 9. We gave that earlier. For by grace you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, it's not of works, lest any man should boast. You say, that's the salvation wrapped up. That's exactly right. But, there's verse 10. And that's when he pulls this together. For we, the Christian, are his workmanship. God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works. That God has before ordained that we should walk in them. Now I want you to imagine today. What as a Christian now, this is not what we're depending upon to get into, us into heaven, but this is something that I want to do for the living God. That's the difference. What are good works that we could do to serve the living God? And by the way, we get to do it. Can I mention to us as older Christians... We've been there, we've done that. We've done nursery, we've done kids, we don't do kids anymore. We do, you know, we did the teens, maybe in the past we've done the music, we just like to kind of, and we've we kind of been there and, and done all of these things and nothing really. There's a true story, and I've told this way back, so I'm going to say it again, I've done it for a while. There's a, a, a story of a man that, uh, well, he had tried to get into baseball, and, and he just didn't make it. There's a, a movie based on this, and I love it. And um, so he put this challenge, was challenged by the team he was coaching because they saw how fast he could throw to try out. And he did. And as a pitcher, he got in. And he's going through the minor leagues, and he's throwing the ball, he's pitching, and he's pitching, and he had nothing. He called his wife and said, I think I'm going to come home. I'm just giving up. We don't have the money. We can't pay the bills. I'm not making enough money. And he was ready to quit. You know what he did? He took a walk that evening. He saw the lights in the distance. And he took a walk. And he went over and he wasn't seeing another minor league or even major league baseball game. He went over to a little league game. And he watched these little kids throwing the ball around, hitting the ball. And every one of them had smiles. They were actually having fun playing baseball. And they were like, this is awesome. And the kid was waving at him and smiling. And he got it. He lost the joy of playing baseball. And the next day he goes into the locker room and he looked at one of the guys and he looked and he says, guess what we get to do today? We get to play baseball for a living. And it was the turning point in his career he was taken up into the pros, and he made it. Folks, I say that because sometimes we forget the joys that we're supposed to have because we get to serve Jesus. We don't have to. 
He is not kicking us. We're not dragging. I don't want to be in the nursery again. Not another diaper. <laughs> Those kids. All oh, that choir director. All oh, that youth pastor. All oh, that preacher. We got to work with them. Oh, it's so hard. And we forget we're not serving Mark. We're not serving Nathan or the deacons or the trustees or Carl. We get to serve Jesus today. We get to sing for Him. You, you just happen to be here listening. They're, they're here serving and singing for Christ. You see what I'm saying? You know, I, I'd be planning on being here Sunday morning whether you all show up or not. My wife has to come. <laughs> Even if I had an audience of one... You know, we're here for Him. And we get to serve the true living God. Not a man-made God. The true living God. What a privilege we have. So let's get busy for Him. Now, you've got to fill in the blank, though. Because you say, well, what do you want me to do? Well, come see me. Come see Nathan. See one of the deacons, trustees, Bob Hanson, one of these guys. And stop and say, this is what I'm capable of doing. I want to serve. Get busy. You say, I may not qualify. We'll qualify you. We'll help you. We'll get you knowing the Word. We'll get you, in, you know, part of this whole thing. Because, because this is part of what we as a church get to do is we gather together. We've, we've learned about discipleship. Maybe you haven't gone through that. And then you get to teach somebody else down the road. You say, I could never do that. I couldn't preach either years ago. Debatable whether I still can, but, you know, you know what I'm saying? You know, God qualifies us. And we get going, we get around other Christians, we learn how to do things, and they teach, they mentor, and then we begin to do. It's like you go to work, a brand new job, and you have no idea what you're doing. Remember your first job? Remember how hard that was? You were scared to death to show up? McDonald's? Okay, first job? French fries. And that's what I got to do. Put those little hats on. You know, I went over and this is the deep fryer and this grease is like really, really hot. So you don't want to touch it. And you put those fries in and you have a little button here. And then after you're done, it's going to beep over here. And then you hit this button because it tells you that the fries are now cooked. You pull them out. You shake all that grease off. It was good grease back then too. Yeah, they really tasted better back in that day. And then you put them, and then you put salt on them, and then you have this little thing, and you put it into this little paper, and you put it over here, and you're done. And it's like, I can do that. You know why? Because somebody taught me. That's what ministry, folks, is about. We get to serve Jesus. And yeah, you may have to learn, you may have to qualify, you need to go through things, but that's okay, because then you're going to be teaching somebody else. It's a wonderful world, isn't it? God has it all laid out. Let's not complicate it. It's to serve Jesus together. Father, we love you. We thank you for the privilege that we have of understanding the sanctification, the cleansing that you have given us, Lord Jesus. We thank you that we don't have to go through the Old Testament regiments for that temporary cleansing, but we have a high priest that is taking care of our sin in full, once and for all. We thank you, Lord, that you were willing and able to save us. 
Lord, there may be some folks here today that this has been news to them. They have been trying their best to save themselves, to to do more good than bad, hoping that they could get in. Lord, they've learned today that's not working. That's not your plan. So Lord, may they go through the precious blood of Jesus Christ, and may they be saved once and for all. Now Lord, we've worked for You, and we're trying to serve You. But there may be some areas, Lord, that we may have had the wrong spirit and and forgotten who we're serving. Forgive us of that. Forgive me of that. Lord, help us to remember that we're not serving man. We're serving You. But we serve You by serving man. So help us to keep You in our focus. Help us to look to Jesus. Lord, I do not know how You've worked in the Christians' hearts here today. But Lord, there are works that we have to do. Sometimes they're not easy. Sometimes they're not popular. Sometimes, Lord, you know, nobody even sees it. But it must be done. Help us, Lord, to do the work. Not with complaining, but just do the work. Because, Lord, we know that one day in heaven, you tell us that there will be a judgment seat of Christ. That we will stand before you for our works that we have done. And Lord, Lord, you know my heart. I want to see these people stand before you with joy because they served you. And they can hear those words, well done. And they will receive from your hand those crowns that you have to reward them with. Thank you for that. Now Lord, bless this invitation. It is yours. And use it for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. Fran, place through a verse of invitation.